the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Sorry for not giving you our President Reagan intro here, but we had to do something special because of our special guest. And of course, I'm speaking of the sage of South Central, the great Larry Elder, heard during the daylight hours suddenly. Here on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Larry, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Bob. Bob, tell me you went to the All-Star game. Tell me you went. I did not. I did Uh, not. I could not. uh, (laughs) You didn't come out either, did you? Well, I was hoping that you were going to lay some tickets on me, Bob, but you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why is it every time something happens in Cleveland, that's what I get in with? Hewitt does the same thing to me. Every time he wants tickets to the Indians home opener, the Browns home opener. (laughs) I got no pull. I got no pull, (laughs) Sage. All right. right, It was a great game, though. Great game. Yes, it was. It really was. And Mm -hmm. uh, you know what? My Indians are doing a great job. Now, now, obviously, you have roots here in Cleveland, but you live in Los Angeles. Are you Dodgers, Indians, or what's your story? No, no, no. I I, I was Dodgers growing up. You know, I grew up with... Uh, Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, Maury Wills, those kind of guys. But then yeah. I moved to Cleveland when I was 25, lived there 17 years, as you know. Right. And I embraced the Indians, and I embraced the, the Browns, embraced the Cavaliers. I went to the old municipal stadium, the one that had 80,000 people, when only two or 3,000 people there were, were going. <laughs> yep. and, and, Bob, I went there maybe, I don't know, dozens of times, still never got a foul ball. My life, I've never gotten a foul ball, not once. Well, you know what you needed then, Larry? You, what you should have done, I swear to goodness, I'm not even joking about this now, and it's going to kill you to hear this. I could have gotten you tickets to the Home Run Derby if you could have caught a cheap flight. The Derby, you would have gotten. They hit, what, 450 home runs into the stands that night. You would have gotten your first ball from the Home Run Derby. I could have put you out there I don't know. In, in the when bleachers there. where those shots were being hit. I don't know. When I've gone there, two, 3,000 people, there's always some kid faster than me and <laughs> picks, picks up the ball. I haven't gotten one yet, and, I, and I'm not getting any faster. So. Oh, Lordy. All right. So, so what, what happens? Real quick. Indians, Dodgers, World Series. What cap you wearing? I don't know. That's, that's, that'd be a tough <laughs> one. I, I would have to pull for the Indians. Ah, there you go. I love to hear you that. Know, Dodgers, this, this Dodgers have so many advantages. This city has so many advantages, you know, the weather, uh, the money, people want to come out here. So I pull for for Cleveland. I pull for teams that are, are so-called, uh, you know, not, not big market teams that uh, have to compete against the, the you know, the, the Boston right. Red Sox and the Yankees and the Dodgers. And so I guess I, I consider the Indians to be a bit of an underdog, and that's why I've embraced them. You mean you're not an elitist Republican who, uh, who, who sides with the 1%? Dodgers are the 1%, right? Indians are, are way down there in the... <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, all right, Larry, um, send her back, send her back, send her back. Um, yeah. It's been the story for Big the last deal. 24 hours. Uh, the the fans, yeah. or the, or, you know, supporters of the president were chanting it. The president just stood there and listened to it. Didn't join in, but also didn't tell them, knock it off. Was forced to essentially say yesterday, okay, I disavow, I disavow that I didn't like it. But when are they going to make 
you know, uh, Jihad Omar and Sharia Talib and Alexandria Damasio Cortez, when are they going to make them apologize and denounce the Hitler comparisons to Donald Trump, the Nazi guard comparisons to the Border Patrol agents working the quote unquote concentration camps? Why can they say whatever they want and the president and his uh, well, supporters it, it, can't? Because it's a double standard, and, and you left out the, uh, the the really racist statement that was made by Ayanna uh, Presley. She said, "We don't need any more black faces who don't want to be a black voice. We don't need any more brown faces who don't want to be a brown voice. Whatever happened to content of character? My goodness, I, right. that that was by far the most racist thing that was said over I, the I weekend." Left her out and I can't think of a good nickname for her yet. I've got nicknames for the other three, but I can't think of one for her, so I left her out. But you're right; that was terrible. What you yeah. said. Awful, and what she's basically saying is the only one way to be black, only one way to be brown, and if you don't think the way I think, you're not black, you're not brown. I can't think of anything more hideous than that, more racist than that. My goodness. Uh, but uh, that was overshadowed by the, by the chance of send her home, send her home. I agree with Rand Paul. Rand Paul, the other, I think last night, said, I didn't see anything racist in it. They weren't saying send her home because she's a, a, an African. They said send her home. Send, send her home because they, they find her offensive. What's, how is that any different from America, love it or leave it? It's not. It's not. And, and you know what? I, I, I tweeted that, and I, I've got that picture on my, my Facebook and all my social media. There's an old bumper sticker. I think I, millions of Americans used to have that on the back of their car. America, love it or leave it. And guess what? Republicans, right. Democrats, doesn't matter who you are, we all agreed with that sentiment. Now Donald Trump says, you know what? Especially if you're in the Congress and you're taking an oath, swearing an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of this great country, we ask that you love it. And if you don't, maybe consider getting out. You know, that's, and he's not throwing anybody out. He's saying, why don't you consider going back to someplace else. And speaking of the oath, uh, the, the most sacred oath the president takes, of course, is to defend the country. George W. Bush was pounded with Bush lied, people died. The most hideous thing I think I've ever heard since, hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids have you killed today? How many times did the media uh, and the Democrats suggest that people who were chanting, hey, uh, Bush lied, people died, uh, should stop it? They didn't. They encouraged it. Ted Kennedy said, week after week after week, we were told lie after lie after lie. It's a lie uh, that uh, George W. Bush lied. There was a, a commission called the Rob Silverman Commission and said, okay, the intelligence was wrong, but nobody lied. Yet the majority of Democrats to this day, either believe the president lied us into the war, or that they believe it's possible that he did, all because of these chants, Bush lied, people died, and nobody responding to it. I interviewed Dick Cheney once, and I asked him what was his biggest regret, Bob, uh, of the eight years. He said our biggest regret was that we didn't respond when people were saying the president lied us into the, uh, into the Iraq war. We just believed that the American people were too smart to believe that. I interviewed Dick Rumsfeld. I asked him the same question. What's the biggest regret? He said the same thing, that we didn't respond aggressively when people said that we lied us, that, that we've lied into the war. What's more hideous than that? And why aren't the same people concerned about send their back, send their back, saying anything about those horrific chants, Bush lied, people died? You know, and the other thing about that, too, we're talking to the great sage of South Central, Larry Elder, here on AM 1420, the answer is is the fact that Ilhan Omar has said and done enough things to indicate her disgust for this country and for Israel, while our ally, while we're on the subject. Her anti-Semitism is, is on full display, in fact, with her most recent proposal in support of the boycott, divest, and sanction movement. But, you know, she, literally, when she was in the Minnesota legislature, she she argued, voted to uh, allow uh, families of terrorists who were killed in the commission of committing terrorism to receive insurance uh, uh, benefits. She uh, wrote a letter to a judge requesting uh, leniency on ISIS fighters, people who are trying to jo- jo- join ISIS in Minnesota. Of course, we know about some people did some things, and she was just right. asked on, on, on Monday, you know, how hard is it to answer, of course I denounce 
Al-Qaeda. Of course I don't like Al-Qaeda. She refused to answer that and say that. So, I mean, right. her anti-Americanism, Larry, is on full display, and that's why people who don't like her, including me, are saying, get out, or, or you know, or, or, or if, if you're going to hate this country, do it in silence. Don't be so blatant about it. Uh, and they mm-hmm. want to make it about race. I, I don't get it. Right. Yeah, and she said uh, she, it, she doesn't like the idea, thinks it's offensive that when there's a terror attack that uh, that I, as a Muslim, should condemn it. Really? Uh, I think I read a poll that said about 25% of young Muslims in uh, in Great Britain uh, are okay with homicide bombing. It seems to me when you have that percentage of young people, young Muslims, okay with homicide bombing, you're damn right you have an obligation to say something about it. And I, I find it just appalling. And you're right. All the things she said, uh, some people did something, blamed us for Black Hawk Down, a, yeah. a humanitarian mission to, to feed people in her war-torn country. I mean, How honestly, send Satan her back. Send, send her back. Send her back. The word Satan, Larry, her hashtag at the end of that tweet was, not today, Satan. She's either calling the right. United States as a whole or the United States troops, and that she was condemning in that tweet, Satan. And, and, and we're supposed to defend this woman, and there's a hashtag trend yesterday, I stand with Ilhan Omar. I stand with right. a woman who called the United States a Satan. I... <sighs> Let me get let me get your thoughts on this, Larry, uh, as it pertains to criticizing these women. Nancy Pelosi dared to criticize the four of them for not voting for the four point six billion dollar uh, funding uh, at the border to relieve the suffering that they're all crying crocodile, crocodile, crocodile tears over. And AOC right. says, you know what? We're getting sick and tired of being singled out for criticism by the speaker when we are four elected women of color. So she essentially right. called Nancy Pelosi a racist. And here's the story. And here's the story, Larry, and you probably have this. Rasmussen survey, I just became aware of this last night. A Rasmussen survey uh, indicates that one in three Democrats, 32% of Democrats in this country say it is racist for any white politician to criticize any politician of color. And, and, and yep. that means platform, policy, statement. If you say, AOC, I think you're crazy to want to raise the marginal tax rate to 70%, all of that is wiped out. You're a racist because she is immune right. from your, your, your criticism. Yeah, that's stunning. A third of Democrats believe any time a white politician criticizes a black politician, it is by definition racist. It <laughs> reminds me of that exchange that uh, Morgan Freeman had with Pierce Morgan when uh, uh, Morgan Freeman was suggesting that Mitch McConnell was racist because he wanted Obama to be a one-term president, as if the Democrats don't want uh, Trump to be a one-term president. But uh, Pierce Morgan said, you think that's racist? And he goes, yes, of course it's racist. Wow. So because I want you to, to, to be defeated because I don't like Obamacare, I don't like the idea you pull all the troops out of Iraq, I don't like the stimulus package, I don't like taxes being raised and more regulations to fight so-called climate change, uh, I, I'm a racist for wanting that person to be a one-term president? Wow. Yeah, it, it, it is staggering. I, I just and, and you know, essentially, what they're saying is that that a, a a politician of color is immune from criticism. You cannot criticize right. them unless Larry, if that guy's name is Ben Carson or Marco Rubio <laughs> right. or or, right. or Herman Cain. I mean, seriously, you look at all the different uh, Republicans and conservatives who are Latinos or who are Latinas or or, or African Americans. That apparently doesn't apply. You can tear them to shreds, and you're not mm-hmm. a racist. But you only get that label of racist if you criticize a liberal person of color. 
Yeah. Uh, well, Joe Biden has now been called racist, too. Uh, he was called racist right. because of his position on busing, which is identical to the position that Kamala Harris has, who's the one who called him the racist. And he was called a racist for simply saying, I'm civil with people with whom I disagree. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and Joe Biden, of course, is, a, is an expert user of the race card as well. He, during the 2012 campaign, giving a speech before a predominantly black audience, was talking about Mitt Romney's refusal to uh, p- push for more regulations of Wall Street. And Joe Biden said, he wants to unchange. Wall Street wants to put y'all back in chains. And now that very same race card that Joe Biden has been using uh, has been used against him. Uh, and uh, that, that race card is a pretty unpredictable thing. Once, it, uh, once that Pandora's race card box comes out, you never can tell who it's going to bite. Larry, what, what, how does that end for them? You know, there's, there's still you know, a couple dozen of them in the cesspool of candidates. Uh, right. They're all going to have their next debate. Is this literally going to be race, 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 race for the entirety of the 2020 race? And if it is, I can't help but believe that most reasonable, moderate Americans are going to be disgusted by that and either not support the Democrat candidate or uh, support Donald Trump. Right. It'll be race and sleaze. Race and sleaze. Race and sleaze. Uh, and they can't get him on the economy. He's doing too well. They can't get him on foreign policy. Find somewhere in the world where we are worse off because of Donald Trump, despite how dangerous uh, people thought he was and think he is right now. So they can't get him on foreign policy. All they can get him on is sleaze uh, and... Um, uh, and scandal. That's all they've got. And, and racism. That's all they've got. And I believe you're right that the American people are going to tune this out at some point. I think that the eventual nominee is going to be Kamala Harris, and she's already uh, on record as supporting a, a reparations. Uh, she wants to abolish private health care sometimes, and then sometimes she doesn't. It's hard to say where she is. So if this is the candidate, she's way more extreme than the country is, even more extreme than, uh, than, than the plurality of Democrats uh, is. So I think Trump's going to get reelected. If Kamala Harris is the nominee, in fact, no matter who the nominee is, let me ask you this. Who's really going to be the face of the Democrat Party in that race? Will it be that nominee or will it be the quote-unquote squad? It'll be the squad. And and think about the squad's positions and what position has the squad adopted that Kamala Harris is not. She's down with the new Green Deal. She's down with the $15 minimum wage. She's down with Medicare for All. You know, what exactly is the squad pushing that Kamala Harris uh, is not pushing? I don't see a whole lot of difference between the squad's ideology and hers. The, 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 the squad is the base. The base wants all this stuff. This is how far left the, uh, the, the party has, has come. It really is, and I think that might be the master stroke of the president here. A lot of people are really condemning him and criticizing him for this massive uh, war of words with the uh, squad. Uh, but right. you know what? By making them the face, right? By making them the face of the party and, and by making Omar the face of the face of the party, the leader of the jihad squad, honestly, with all of her anti-Americanism and all her anti-Semitism, uh, I think that's a great, brilliant, strategical move. They, you know, He doesn't even know he's going to be campaigning against, but if he campaigns against right. them, he's going to win. And, and don't forget, Chuck Schumer, the leading uh, Democrat in the Senate, has now come out in favor of this bill to study reparations. So that is the mainstream position of the Democratic Party now, and I think only 20-25% of the American people support reparations. So even if uh, uh, AOC and those guys are not the face of the party, the face of the party is what it is. New Green Deal, reparations, $15 minimum wage, Medicare for all, guaranteed job for all, free college tuition, debt forgiveness. This is the mainstream position of the Democratic Party, and I believe that Donald Trump will be able to, to 
to uh, articulate that message and, and beat whoever the nominee is. Well, I, I happen to agree with the Democrats on reparations. As soon as they can bring me a 170-year-old man who was enslaved, I will say absolutely write that man a check. Take good care of him. Well, I also found out that uh, you look at the amount of money that they're thinking, and the average black person is going to get a check for $566,000.66. So all of a sudden, I switch parties. I'm in favor of reparations. How long does that go, by the way? That, that's the funny thing. Is it in perpetuity in 2119? Are we still going to be giving the, the next? I mean, seriously, when does it end? I, that's well, and that's, and, that's, and that's a good and that's a good point. Even if this were done, would Al, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson at all be satisfied? Hell no. Then they want something else. So it's not going to solve the problem anyway. And besides, as you well know, the biggest problem in the African-American community, to use your term, I always call it the black community, uh, is the lack of fathers. End of statement. You cannot blame that on, on slavery because 25% of black kids were born outside of wedlock in 1965. The number now is 70%. So the growth cannot be attributed to uh, the legacy of slavery. Larry, you are loved here in Cleveland. You know that, right? Well, I love Cleveland. Well, thank you for coming on, my friend. Uh, we, we love listening to you every night, and it's so great to have you on here this morning, and hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Anytime, Bob. Thank you, Larry. Larry Elder, the great sage of South Central. Yes, he's got Cleveland roots, too. You heard him reminding, uh, reminding us that he spent 17 years in our great city. It's 1024. We're late to the break, but we'll be early coming back right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Well, that was all kind of fun. That's my gift to you. Happy weekend. Happy Friday to you. A little bit of Larry Elder on a uh, Friday edition of the Bob France Authority. Uh, we're guest-free the rest of the way. Really enjoyed two great conversations there with our Republican strategist from Texas, then Larry Elder. So the rest of the program is yours at uh, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. If you prefer to tweet to me, and I've already gotten a lot of really good tweets and uh, and, and comments on Facebook, I will read those. Uh, best ones on the air Twitter, Facebook, and Parlor. Do not forget Parlor. I'm going to continue to send people to Parlor for great reasons. One of which is because a conservative news anchor in uh, in uh, Phoenix is in trouble with their boss for joining Parlor. Can you imagine such a thing? Social media liberal social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter are just fine and dandy for media members, for public uh, figures, for politicians. No problem. Somebody comes up with Parler, and there are a few others too. And if, if I sound weird when I say Parler, I'm, it's for a reason, because people think it's Parler as in Parlor, the room, P-A-R-L-O-R. It's not. It's P-A-R-L-E-R. So if I sound strange. But uh, Parler was invented as a kind of an answer to the liberal platforms because they're bouncing conservatives out on their ear. They're bouncing conservatives out. They're shadow banning them. They're stealing their followers. They're blocking their content. All of the above, right? So conservatives are flocking to Parler, not because it's just an echo chamber. Liberals are welcome there, too. It's just that in Parler, they're not going to have their own commentary and content censored, right? It's just that simple. Well, there's a, a news anchor in Phoenix who joined Parler, who was told by her boss to get off of Parler because it's too, quote-unquote, far-right for their audience. Never mind the fact that Twitter is so extraordinarily far-left and that Facebook and that Google are all far-left social media platforms 
Dennis Prager testified as much to as much uh, before a Senate committee earlier this week, and I'm going to have that for you in the next half hour too. Never mind that, but they're actually uh, threatening to fire people uh, for for joining a a, a social media platform that doesn't censor people as opposed to one that does. That's staggering. So anyway, uh, social media is still important to the show. Uh, The liberal tripe that we will not surrender the platform to and the more um, free speech-oriented sites like Parler as well. So uh, follow me at France Radio on all of those places, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, and I'll read some of your best stories and best comments uh, right here on the air, and we'll continue the conversation even when we're off the air. News Now, your call's next right here on 1420 The Answer. Ten thirty-six. Uh, let's cl- close this, this uh, work week strong. We got twenty-four minutes of outstanding awesome left for you. I want to get a few great phone calls, and I want to play some great audio for you as well. So let's dive in. Uh, Joe is in Lakewood. You're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Good morning, Joe. Go right ahead. Uh, good morning, Bob. I was just uh, calling in to see <laughs> these people take an oath of office. Yeah. And what can we do if they don't adhere to that oath? Um, the only thing you can do is vote them out, essentially. I mean, uh, that's, that's the nature of being an elected official. If the uh, people that put you in decide you're not living up to the oath that you took, they can vote you out. I mean, there are other ways, too, but, but you, you, know, you have to kind of have you know, control of the, the majority, the House majority, in order to act on any of those things from a legislative standpoint. I understand that. I mean, <laughs> what's the good of having an oath if they don't adhere to the doggone thing? And there should be some kind of punishment for not adhering to the oath. I mean, since the government, you know, makes them have an oath, why? (laughs) I don't understand. Yeah, you know, if I didn't, the, the if I, is, it's all it's all very gray, Joe. Um, because like an oath to support and defend the Constitution, which every congressional member takes, um, it's, it isn't black and white. Um, it can be, it can be uh, viewed in a lot of different ways. For example, the left says they're upholding the Constitution by trying to impeach Donald Trump. It's their oath to do so. Because Donald Trump, in their mind, is committing, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors, things that are, things that are worthy of impeachment. So they, in their mind, they're doing that. And in the mind of a, of a conservative, uh, it's exactly the other way around. These people who are bad-mouthing America are giving aid and comfort to the enemy. They're the ones who are committing treason, and my oath compels me to call them out. So, I mean, there's so many different ways to say, I am supporting my country and following my oath. There's just so much gray. It's not black and white, and I don't mean that by race, of course. I mean, in terms of um, right and wrong, et cetera. Uh, that's the issue. But I do understand your point. It's frustrating when you have people there clearly not doing what their oath tells them to do, which is in the best interest of the country. AC in Cleveland next. Hi, AC. Go ahead. Yes, Bob. You had a yes. caller yesterday that was talking about the four horses of the apocalypse, tying it yeah. into what you had said about the four horsewomen. Yes. And the caller was kind of perplexed and. He or she said, uh, well, I thought the four horsemen of Revelation... they get sent from God? Yeah, they yeah, said that they from were God. sent from God. They're supposed to be good things. Okay, well, if you, if you follow the scripture, you've got four horses, and the last horse is pale, which represents death. And the scripture makes it very clear that hell follows with the death horse. Uh-huh. So that's where these horses are from. 
Yeah, um, that that was my understanding of it too. Without pretending to be a biblical scholar, because I'm not, I don't read it enough and study it enough to know all of this. My understanding was what you just said. They came from hell. They were the four evils that would lead to the end of life on earth, um, which uh, you know, what is a conquest, war, uh, famine, and uh, what's the other one? Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting it. But yes, they were. I'm sorry. Uh, death. Yeah, right. There death. you go. There you go. Conquest, war, famine, and death. Um, they were sent, uh, or excuse me, they, yeah, they were sent from hell, and they were going to bring about the end of life on earth. That's what Book of Revelation teaches. And then God was going to save the righteous. So, uh, yeah, the, the the four horsemen, and what, as I told the caller, and what we've all been talking about earlier in the week, too, and thanks for the call, uh, AC, I do appreciate it, is that um, the colors represented in the Book of Revelation, it was just striking how they were all matched by the four women in that press conference um, uh, on uh, on Monday, claiming their little phony victimhood. Um, Omar wore a white hijab. Um, Talib wore a no, I'm sorry, not Talib. Uh, Presley wore a red dress. Uh, Cortez wore a black dress, and Talib wore a light tan or pale looking blazer. And all four of them were, it was just spooky. And I know it's just coincidence. I know they certainly didn't intend that because they don't see themselves that way. But it was just trippy. And uh, I don't know if you believe in divine intervention or what to shine a light on and show us who they are and what they represent, if you believe that or not. But my, oh, my, it was really, really eerie. Jerry is in uh, Brexville. Hi, Jerry. Go ahead. Bob, I was going to comment. I agree 100% on uh, Trump's comment about uh, if they don't like it here. That's just like me saying, if you don't like CVS, go to Drug Mart. You know, it's, it's the same type of a thing. It's, it's just a saying. He didn't say send her back, okay? Right, right. And, and one other thing is, it's against the law, isn't it, to climb that fence down on the border and sit on the top of that? And I know when I was a kid, we, quit, we weren't allowed to hitch a ride on a train. Like these people are hitching rides on trains coming here. And Bob, rather than take this $4.6 million and do what they're going to do with it, put those people back on a train or a plane and send them back to Honduras, El Salvador, Ecuador, wherever they're from, and put that money on the wall. We've got to get that wall. This thing is getting very, very serious. We've got to do something. You're right. It is, Jerry. It is very, very serious. As far as your question about sitting on top of the wall, I don't know, but they're not going to worry themselves about that because they have so many thousands of them going around it uh, and going through the areas where there is no barrier uh, in between the ports of entry. And these illegal aliens are the ones that they're uh, trying to capture. And, of course, in a lot of cases, as you know, because of the uh, loopholes in the asylum law, they don't even want to be. They don't even worry about being captured. They're turning themselves in, in many cases, and then using the magic words about I'm seeking asylum from political persecution or uh, you know uh, uh, religious persecution or something of that nature in my home country so uh, and that triggers of course the clock on how long they can be detained so we all know the story and you're right um, in order to make this more efficient and equitable quite frankly we need massive border barriers, if you want to call them walls or fences or whatever, it doesn't matter, in between all ports of entry so that all illegals wanting to then claim asylum, quote-unquote legally, will do so through the ports of entry. And then, if we can have uh, President Trump's new stated policy enacted, 
in which they can't claim asylum coming through our legal ports of entry if they came from a third country rather than the one that borders us. The president's policy is that if you come from country A and you travel through country B in order to receive country C, or not, sorry, not receive, but in order to, order to reach, rather, country C, you have to have requested asylum in country B. That's, that's the most elementary way I can explain it. So if you come from one of the Central American Triangle countries, Honduras, El Salvador, or Guatemala, and you come through Mexico, you can't say, I'm escaping persecution in my country by coming to the United States. You've already escaped your country. You're in a foreign country now, Mexico. You must request asylum there. It is absolutely 100% the right policy that President Trump has come up with. If you're true, you know, it's, if I'm seeking protection from a killer, if I'm running from a killer who's shooting and waving knives at me and trying to kill me, I don't duck into one house and say, hide me, somebody's trying to kill me, and then decide, well, this house isn't good enough. Take me to the the mansion at the top of the hill. You hide me and let me stay here. This is a much better place to uh, flee my persecutor. My my, you know, and that's probably a lousy example about the deranged killer. But I'm just trying to make it as simplified as possible. You don't get to choose your sanctuary, the one that's the gold standard. You go to the first place that provides you sanctuary, that provides you asylum, that pr- provides you refuge, and then the other one, of course, is. Um, I think it's it's either Ted Cruz or Lindsey Graham's um, proposal in the Senate that says, essentially, forget about requesting asylum in even Mexico. If you really, truly want to request asylum in the United States, you may. At an American embassy in your country. At an American consulate in your country. We will staff the American consulates and embassies with judges, retired judges, or other individuals uh, who have uh, been deemed worthy of being able to evaluate asylum claims, check to see if there really is legitimacy to the claim, or if it's just somebody looking for a better economic opportunity, which does not fit the asylum criteria, and we'll make that decision when you're there. And if we say, yeah, you are certainly entitled to asylum, and we'll be willing to take you into the United States, you don't have to caravan your way up. Hell, we'll take you up in a, in a federal vehicle. That's what we do. But you have to ask before you leave your country. You don't storm our country with 125,000 other people and then expect us to be able to process you without holding you and then complaining that we're holding you in an overcrowded place and you've got to let me go. No. You combine those two elements, in my view. You take that Republican plan, again, I don't remember who was Grammar Cruz, you must request asylum at an American consulate or an American embassy in your own home country, or if you choose to leave your country and you go through a second country on your way to get to this country, that second country is your new asylum home. That's the way it's got to be. Those are the two policies that have to be put in place. Uh, let's go to Joe in Bratton. Oh, boy. Joe in Bratton. You're on the answer. I'd like to talk to you about, uh, about your comments about... Uh, how many jobs the uh, uh, raising the wage to $15 would cost. 
According to the CBO, it was $1.3 million as an average cost, and the range was from zero to $33,700,000, and you quoted the high number only. Well, it'd be the high number was much higher than the number you just quoted. CBO said 3.7 million jobs would be lost if we have a federal. You said, said 1.3. I said no, 1.3 was the median. You say 3.7. 1.3 was oh, the median. Oh, okay, median. gotcha. And 3.7 gotcha. was the okay. high. Yeah, another thing. I just, so, so hold on, hold on, hold on. Then, Joe, Joe, hold on. Let me. Let's take your median number. Then, mm-hmm. are you comfortable putting a million people, 1.3 million people? Out of work, completely, 100% uh, uh, salary decrease so mm-hmm. that other people can get a slight salary increase. You're okay with that? Well, it's not a slight salary increase. If it was a slight salary increase, then there wouldn't be this effect. No. The problem is it will help 27 million people out of poverty. That's huge. And half the people who will lose their jobs would be teenagers, according to the CBO report that I have right in front of me. Okay, well, well, I, I've got news for you. I've got news for you. Those people can already get out of poverty, Joe. And you don't need an artificial increase of the medium of the minimum wage. What you need is to work your ass off and get a promotion, the way the rest of the world has always done it. If you're well, if you're trying to raise a family that. on minimum wage, Joe, Joe, if What's you're that? trying to raise a family on minimum wage, you're doing life wrong. You get minimum wage when you first get out of high school. You get minimum wage I at the entry that. level. And I'm going to you're talking to well, a person who makes Why are you trying to put people out of work? Why are you trying to close down American businesses no, who can't afford to, to stay open under hyperbolic. those circumstances? You got to be factual. I'm sorry. You got to be I am being factual, factual Joe. No, you're not. You're having a, you're offering an opinion. No, Joe. Joe, listen. You know listen, as well as I, I do, the vast majority of American workers. Hold on, Joe. Let me let me finish my. Let me. All right, I got to go. Let, let me finish the statement. The vast majority of American employees do not work for massive companies like Apple or GM or Amazon. The vast majority of Americans are employed by small businesses. Small businesses are the businesses that can least afford a massive, mandated government pay hike for all of their employees. It leaves them with three options. One, raise your prices to meet your new overhead costs, your new, your new uh, employee uh, salary and benefits costs. Raise your prices, in which case your customers leave because they can't afford to pay those prices. B, lay off a whole bunch of people so you can afford the ones who are left behind thereby creating those millions of job losses we talked about, or C, close up shop. And I might, if I want to, and this is just an opinion, but it's also reality because I've been paid under the table. You've probably been paid under the table. D would be pay people under the table to get some work done me, and, uh, because you cannot afford to do the $15 thing. You tell people, keep your mouth shut and I'll take good care of you. You won't have to pay the taxes. Okay, deal. And sadly, that's what a lot of small businesses would be forced into. That's not good business, no matter who you are. All right, last uh, time out of the um, uh, of the show. We'll come right back, try to squeeze in a couple more before we're done on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Well, I'm not going to be able to give you Dennis Prager. I wanted to um, give you the uh, five-minute introduction that Dennis gave to the Senate committee uh, that he testified before before this uh, earlier this week on uh, social media censorship and um, 
uh, conservative uh, targeting. It was wonderful. It was brilliant. I did play it for you earlier this week. I wanted to kind of wrap the week with it again, but I ran out of time because I have so many people on hold. So let me get a few more phone calls here before we're done at the uh, top of this hour, before we turn it over to Mr. Gallagher. TJ in Cleveland is waiting. Go ahead, TJ. Yeah, two quick things, Bob. First of all, if Winston Churchill had ever met Joe from Berea, he would have reminded him that if you're still old and you're liberal, it proves you have no brain. The other point I'd like to make is when I heard that statement, they called these these four women the four horsemen or horsewomen of the apocalypse. First thing I thought of, no, these are the four horses' ass of the apocalypse. Uh, that's that's a good one. And somebody else brought up, you know, hey, they do represent the Democrat Party. That would make them the four donkeys uh, or also known as jackasses of the apocalypse. So there's another way to go. Yeah, and, and you know, if if we're all racist because we support Trump, does that mean all Democrats are bigots because they're anti-Jewish and anti-Israel? I mean, yeah, is that's this a what really goes good, around. That's a really good question. Around? If we're just lumping people together like that, right? That's that's the problem when you you know when you spray paint with a broad brush. You take you know one one particular situation and try to apply it to everybody. And you know what? That's the difference, though, uh, TJ. We don't do that. That's that's it. Semitic. We won't do that. That's their game. Uh, it looks like I lost TJ's call. I heard cluttering there. Uh, thanks for the call, TJ. Joanne in Twinsburg next. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Bob. I want to talk about sanctimonious Elijah Cummings. All right, he go ahead. there and rip McElene yesterday about yes, he did. children and feces. They don't care about killing them in the womb. They don't care about, care about killing them after they're born. Now, all of a sudden, we care about the kids for a crisis that never existed? I'm sick of it. Joanne, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic point. I mean, I, he heard the I've, guy, and yeah. he's got no basis for anything he says. No, he doesn't. And, and McAleen, I thought, did a pretty good job of holding his own there. I don't have the audio queued up to play it for you, but I can quote some of it. Um, it there, there's, you know, the important point that McAleen made there was, look, we are doing our level best. All right, that's what McElhinney had said, considering the circumstances that you, meaning the have created for us. We have, you know, last year, I, I heard the number this morning, last year they had budgeted for one particular sector in Texas uh, of, of uh, you know, border area, border sector where they're coming across. Last year they had budgeted $18 uh, billion for that sector for security. This year, because of the hundreds of thousands that have crossed there, they are already trending or pacing toward $188 billion because of the number. So my point to that is, and Macalina pointed this out, we cannot possibly take care of every single person in the comfortable and luxurious care that they would like, given the fact that you have given us too many and given us too little resources. And you will do nothing to slow the tide of illegal human or illegal uh, immigrants and the tide of human beings coming across that border and making these claims. We just cannot do it. Is everybody in perfect, perfect comfort? No. Is there anything we can do about that? No, we're doing our level best. And I thought McLean held up well there. He pointed out that look, you know, for they, they save, they have saved over the course. I can't remember the period of time. I want to say it was about two years. Some four thousand immigrant lives that were in grave danger because of their decision, their own decision to make that journey, either in the back of a hot truck or to try to cross a, a raging river or in a, a very, you know, a, a, 
a dehydrated state in the desert, all these things. They are finding these people and saving their lives. If they didn't care about them, they would let them die. They are trying their very best. And I thought McAleenan held up well against some really, really ridiculous questioning from Cummings. And your point, by the way, your point about um, the abortion issue and Cummings and the rest of these trying to cry their crocodile tears for children, yet they support the slaughter of children in the safest place they're supposed to have, which is the womb of their mother, uh, that hypocrisy is absolutely noted. Thanks so much for the call. If I left you on hold and I see a few people there, I do apologize for that, but we're out of time. Got to make room. Mike Gallagher is coming up next. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. We're back on Monday for the next Bob France Authority. Uh, be well, be safe, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.